0: American Timelines as a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com American.
1: So now I'm obsessed with time
0: Welcome to another episode of American Timelines. I'm Amy and that's Joe.
1: That's right. And we are history for jerks.
0: That's right. And we are going to talk about 1941 today.
1: Yes. And instead of all the dumb bullshit of me just blabbing on and on, we're going to jump right into it. That's right. But before we get into 1941 exactly, Amy, yeah. I realized there was a couple things at uh, that I kind of forgot to mention because uh, we used to get stuff off of popculture.us. Oh, that's right. There were a couple of things from 1940 that I forgot to mention that are just like not date attached, but just things that happened. Okay. Um, um, and one of the things is the term hipster oh. originated in the 1940s. Yes. And it was used to describe jazz aficionados characterized by their dress slang, use of cannabis and other drugs, rela- huh. relaxed attitude, sarcastic humor, and self-imposed poverty and relaxed sexual codes.
0: So I'm a hipster. I was just
1: going to say, you are a hipster. <laughs> Mainly the relaxed sexual codes. Wait a minute. Whoa! And the sarcastic humor and the,
0: and the self-imposed
1: poverty. Um, in 1940, scientists concluded the consumption of ice cream was the leading cause of the polio epidemic. Solely based on the stats that there were more cases of polio in the summer, which was also oh my when God. children ate the most ice cream. Yeah.
0: Correlation does not equal causation, folks. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Is that funny that they thought yes. that ice cream <laughs> it must be ice cream. It was new. It was relatively new. Remember, yeah. like in the first when it first came out, like Oyster was a was the most popular ice cream. Oh
0: yeah. yes. It's weird.
1: Hans and Margaret Ray, who were both Jewish, fled Paris in nineteen forty on bicycles that Hans had built. They escaped just hours before the Nazis seized Paris. Oh wow. Among the few possessions they carried was the illustrated manuscript for the first curious george book oh my god which they would later get published in new york oh wow is that crazy that is crazy curious george is a Aww. product of the man in the yellow hat would never have happened without without them escaping the evil well nonsense. they probably could
0: have maybe but i mean maybe they would have just published it and were there
1: yeah but well, they would have to start all over probably and would been like, i ah, forget that dumb book maybe never know uh frank mars and bruce murray you know who they are no they manufactured candy-coated chocolate oh, in six Mars. colors, red, green, yellow, brown, and violet. Those were the original colors. M&M's? M&M's, yep. In 1949, violet was replaced by tan. Ew. M&M survived the red dye scare of
0: 1976. Uh, yeah, they took the red ones out for a while.
1: Yeah. Uh yeah, they were gone I, I didn't grow up with red ones. They came no, back later. That's right. Uh, and in the comics, uh, Superman bad guy Lex Luthor was originally drawn with a full head of red hair in oh. Action Comics number twenty three, but an artist's mistake made the iconic villain bald. And then they just kept with it. How about that? Yeah,
0: he needs to be bald.
1: Well, he needs to be bald, but that mistake—if that he mistake was a ginger
0: had... though, you could tell.
1: Yeah, you know his pubes are red. He All right, but seriously, that's the thing. Embrace the mistakes, the tiny little accidents, as uh Bob Ross used to say. That's right. If you make a mistake, just embrace it. It was meant to be. If you accidentally cheat on your wife, just, it's okay. She's good with it. It was meant to be. Wait a minute. Ah, just what? kidding. Just kidding. I would never cheat on you. You're beautiful gorgeous.
0: All right, move on.
1: Even though we have relaxed sexual codes. <laughs> uh, okay, now into 1941. Uh... The first TV commercial ever aired on July 1st, 1941. Mm-hmm. Do you know what it was for?
0: Was it for a car?
1: It was for Bul- Bulova watches. Bulova. Bulova? Yeah. Do you have one of those? No, have we you used have? to
0: sell them if things are remembered. Oh, you
1: did? Bulova. An, is an engraved how you say it? gift store. Well, they, they paid for a 10 second spot shown before a baseball game between the Brooklyn Dodgers and Philadelphia Phillies at Ebbets Field. Okay. And there's a copy of it on YouTube, and I will insert a little clip of that here. Okay. And you'll have to wait till you listen to the episode to hear it. That's true. It's actually play it right now. The first, uh, oh, the price of cigarettes. You want to guess what the price of cigarettes cost in 1941?
0: Oh, uh, five cents.
1: Twelve cents per Twelve pack. Twelve
0: cents. Inflation.
1: Twelve cents per pack of 20 in 1941. You, you can't afford not to smoke. I know. That's why everybody smoked.
0: Yeah, why not?
1: Uh, Seagram's Crown Scotch, ninety proof, it was nine ninety five a half gallon. Okay. Do you have any frame of reference for that? No. doesn't mean anything. None at all. I don't know how much Seagram's Crown Scotch costs now, but it's probably uh, expensive. Um, using fake charities, the British Secret Intelligence Service delivered copies of Monopoly to prisoners of war held by the Nazis. Hidden inside these games were maps, compasses, real money, and other objects useful for escaping. How about that? For smart. Yeah. Monopoly helped people escape. Fuck That's the, cool. Fuck the Nazis. I'm just gonna go on the record and say, Yeah, fuck I think the we Nazis. can safely say okay? that. Yeah. That's I'm I'm taking a stand. Do it. <laughs> uh coach bags were introduced in nineteen forty one.
0: Oh my god. I didn't know they were that old.
1: They were based on uh baseball gloves designed. Yeah. And surface wear. That's why they're called coach, I guess. Okay. Like baseball coach, I think. I don't know. Maybe coach is the company. I don't know them that much, but that's what they were designed on. Uh, the benefits of magnesium in dental health were unknown until an absence of tooth decay was linked to high magnesium levels in Deaf Smith County, Texas. Okay. All these people had magnesium in their water, and then none of them had tooth decay. So they're like, oh, that's oh,
0: good. maybe we should do this.
1: Accidental. A new state called Jefferson, made up of Northern California and Southern Oregon, was proposed in 1941. Huh. But then Pearl Harbor was attacked and the movement faded away. We're about to come up on Pearl Harbor in this episode. Yeah. It's 1941. Um, And I'm just going to cover some highlights of it. Okay. We're not not a Pearl Harbor podcast. That's right. Anyway, the first year Power Windows appeared on cars was
0: 1941.
1: Really? Yep. The first car to have this feature was the Packard 110.
0: I didn't know that that was a... Technology that was available back then. Yeah.
1: Can you believe it? Is that no, long ago? I know it. Because we had roll ups in, yeah, in the 70s, 80s, 80s,
0: and 90s, even.
1: But I guess only rich people could do it then.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. Of course.
1: Uh, Henry Ford, I don't know if you know about this, in 1941, he made a car from hemp and soybean plastic.
0: He was a raging anti Semite.
1: He was. Yes. Well, it ran on ethanol.
0: Hitler admired his um, assembly line in his. Like writings and stuff so Yikes. that tells you. So,
1: because I ordered, I owned a Ford Tempo. I contributed you contributed to that? to that. That's right. Oh no. Well, unfortunately, the use of hemp ethanol fuel never became widespread due to political and economic factors.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and The oil industry and the government were not keen on promoting the use of renewable fuel source that could potentially threaten their business. Tch. So as a role...
0: Imagine how far much further along we would be if they would have just gone that route.
1: Yeah, succumbed to oil companies. Yeah. As a result, the use of ethanol fuel made from hemp was heavily restricted, and eventually it fell out of use altogether,
0: okay. all to
1: benefit the oil companies.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, mercury used in hat making, Oh God. Uh, which causes Mad Hatter's disease, that's right. was banned in France in 1898. You know about this? Yeah, that's why uh,
0: haberdashers used to be... Uh, Crazy? It, yeah, they would call them Mad as a Hatter. That's where the Mad Hatter Hatter comes from. Yeah, because of mercury. Mad Hatter's disease. Yep. Uh,
1: But even though it was banned in France in 1898, the practice continued in the U.S. until 1941, despite 80% of hat makers being diagnosed with mercurial tremors until it was abandoned due to the wartime need for mercury. Yeah. So maybe that's why the U.S. is a little more crazy than everybody else. Maybe. Uh, Do you know who Regis Toomey and Jane Wyman are?
0: I know Jane Wyman. She was um, an actress, an actress, and she was Ronald Reagan's first wife.
1: Well, she and Regis Toomey were in a movie in 1941 called "You're in the Army Now," Mm -hmm. and it was the longest screen kiss. Oh, held it. I think it might still be, besides in porn, held it three minutes and five seconds. She
0: was the mom on Falcon Crest. Jane Wyman. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: I never once watched one episode of that.
0: Oh, you never did after Dallas.
1: I never watched Dallas. You never when, watched Dallas? When Dallas came on, we were. You had to go to go bed. Because oh, it was after were, Duke's Ahead. That's true. It was 10 were, o'clock. You were younger than me. So. I'm like 20 years younger. No, you're four years younger than me. 35 years No, you're four
0: years younger. Now quit.
1: You are an old, old lady. You're the Gen Xer. I'm going to put you in there You're thing a thing home. Gen Xer too. I'm a young Gen Xer, though. You're an old Gen Xer. You're 90. Shh, uh, no sh- offense, sh- but you're getting wrinkly, and I look great. That's actually, see, folks, it's funny. You can't see us, but it's funny because it's not true. She looks 20 years younger than me, even though she's four years older than me. You look 20, you look like I could be, you could be my daughter. No. Anyway, uh, in 1941, January of 1941, according to weirduniverse.net, bananas uh, were used to launch a ship one time. Oh. The Cape Lookout cargo ship was launched in Beaumont, Texas, using three and a half tons of well-ripened bananas to lubricate and slide into the water. It was the largest ship ever launched by this method. What? Bananas were used because at the time, they were cheaper than grease.
0: So they just peeled all the bananas and rubbed them all over the ship? <laughs> I guess. That's weird. I
1: don't, I don't know. I didn't look that much into it.
0: It's really weird.
1: But just so you know, everybody, bananas make a cheap lube. <laughs> Maybe good for grease in your hair, too. Could I'm just be. Start using bananas for everything.
0: WD 40 in place of that.
1: Yeah, baby. Bananas. Banana hammock. Uh, January 1st, 1941. <clears throat> it was a Wednesday. And following a hockey game between the Chicago Blackhawks and Detroit Red Wings at Chicago Stadium, Jimmy Orlando of the Red Wings exchanged harsh words with a spectator in the stands and then threw a punch over the rail and knocked the fan unconscious. Then hundreds of angry fans surged onto the ice, and some tried to go after Orlando, but ushers, usher's held them back. By the time police arrived to arrest Orlando, he was nowhere to be found. How about that? A big fight with the spectators. Yeah. Like, I had all kinds of... If you look up uh, Jimmy Orlando, he had all kinds of anger issues. Oh, boy. But hockey, like I said, that I've said it several times, you can't play hockey and not get pissed off. I don't know what it is.
0: Hmm. So I am going to talk about the Gentleman Killer, or also known at the time as the Aspirin Bandit.
1: The Aspirin Bandit? Yes. And this is January 13th, 1941, and we're
0: jumping Ye- into this? That's one of the dates, yes. Okay,
1: well, let's start with that, baby.
0: So we're in Bronx, New York. New York. And this is, like we said, pre-World War II. We're coming out of the Great Depression. Um, this basically was an episode of A Crime to Remember. Okay. So, you know. Um, nothing wrong with that. And most people at the time, they stayed where they were. They grew up, they got married, they had kids, they had a job.
1: Yeah, a lot of people still- didn't. And they remained
0: in their neighborhoods. Um, and then there was this place called the Park Chester Apartments.
1: Park Chester Apartments and in it the Bronx? Was
0: middle class. Okay. Uh, the New Deal era government building housing. They built housing communities all over the city. Okay. So um, middle class was thriving at the time because of the New Deal. So on January thirteenth, nineteen
1: forty one. Yeah, it was a Tuesday.
0: Detective Ed Burns was called to the Parkchester Apartments to the okay. home of Elizabeth and Tom Allen. Okay. Uh, Betty, Elizabeth, or Betty as she oh, was Betty, called. Oh, Betty.
1: Yeah, my grandma's name was Betty.
0: She had been found. She had been attacked. Okay. In her house, and her infant daughter was in her crib at the time. Okay. But she was unharmed. But the apartment was ransacked, and Ed sees on the table there's an aspirin bottle and a glass of water.
1: Okay. Now the, Betty was attacked. Betty was attacked, but the baby, but fine. The baby was yeah. fine.
0: She said that it was about two forty-five, and a man came to the door. No, PM in the afternoon. Oh, okay. A man came to the door, and he said he knew her husband from the bakery. Her husband worked at. Okay. He knew, and he knew details about her husband and about them and the kid, the baby. And so unbelievable. Yeah, he said he was from Boystown, and that he was, um, and. She so she felt sorry for him. So if we're
1: not familiar, what's boys? Town? It was a home
0: for wayward boys that started in Nebraska in
1: 1917.
0: Oh, um, it was supposed at the time it was a pioneer in rehabilitation.
1: It was in Nebraska
0: though. Started in Nebraska. Oh,
1: started in Nebraska.
0: Um, the man said Mister Allen had lent him money and that he wanted to thank him. Oh. And so he asks for a glass of water. He says he's got a headache.
1: Seems on the up and up so far. It doesn't seem anything out of, out of order. And in those days, you got to remember, people didn't lock the doors and people were people friendly. Didn't, that's right. It was just like friendly old. You weren't worried about
0: it. And so he says he's got a headache and can he has to have some aspirin Yeah, and a glass of water. So um, she some, goes to get it. Some anise And he comes into the house. Okay. And... Um, he sneaks up behind her, and he grabs her. And then he takes her to the back bedroom. He ties her up, puts a handkerchief in her mouth. He asks if there's any valuables, and he searches the house. Then he comes back in the bedroom. He takes off his clothes. Ooh. He's about to rape her, oh, but then gosh. the phone rings, and that spooks him. So he, so he gets dressed, and he leaves.
1: Oh, my gosh. But nobody answers or anything. Just the phone rings. Yeah, the phone
0: him? Yeah. So then she gives a description of the attacker, says he's got olive complexion, and he's in his 20s.
1: So whoever called saved her from being raped? Yeah. Wow.
0: So Mr. Allen, they ask him about it. He doesn't recognize the description of this person. Okay. He's not sure who it is. Um, Only small amounts of cash and valuables were taken. And the glass that they had next to the aspirin didn't have any fingerprints on it. Really? Yeah. He had wiped them off. So it seems like it was somebody who had a plan. And maybe somebody who had committed this crime before.
1: Okay. Well, okay.
0: So detectives find about 50 pictures that match that description and of men with a history of sexual um, assault and robbery. Yeesh. And they show them to Mrs. Allen. Okay. She recognizes Anthony Litzy, who has who had done time for armed robbery.
1: Anthony Litzy.
0: So, um he was out of jail though. He had been in jail, but he was out at the time and he was working at construction at a plasterer's as a plasterer's apprentice. Okay. Detectives reach out to the employer and Anthony Litzy was actually at those apartments the day before on a job.
1: Uh oh. So they Probably bring him. him
0: in and they book him. Okay. Then three weeks goes by.
1: Book him, Dano.
0: And the cops find a dead woman in an apartment across town. Hmm. Huh. And in the dining room, there's a glass of water and aspirin.
1: Uh Uh-oh. While this guy's incarcerated, so it must be a different guy.
0: So this is February 4th, 1941. And this is the apartment of John and Catherine Pappas. Oh, February
1: 4th, 1941. Yes. The same day that... uh, uh, It's four days before Nick Nolte's born in Omaha, Nebraska. Yes. (laughs) Good Lord.
0: So... um, John, um, this was the apartment of John and Catherine Pappas. Okay. Um, John told them that just a few things were taken. Okay. Um, and that the victim served the perpetrator coffee at when he came over to her house. That was one of the things that happened. She was a 29-year-old beautiful woman. Okay. Her bra was ripped. He didn't rape her, but there was a struggle. And Detective Burns notices a handkerchief on the bed. Uh-huh. And she's dead, so...
1: She's dead, Oh, he killed yeah, her, but he killed didn't her, rape her, but he
0: didn't rape her. But it looks like there was a maybe a like maybe fight. he fight,
1: trying to yeah or and something. He just,
0: oh, gosh. So the medical examiner would place the time of death between eleven and three p.m. that day. Okay. The detectives questioned neighbors, and the neighbors say John Pappas didn't arrive back home until ten p.m. and that took him out of the list of suspects. Okay. The doorman. Said a young man was leaving just as he came in at around two, and he'd never seen him before. And he had dark hair and olive skin. Dark hair
1: and olive skin. He was in a
0: hurry. So, Detective Burns goes to speak with John Pappas. He usually rings the doorbell because John Pappas, when he would come home, he would ring the doorbell because his wife was an immigrant and she was nervous about. uh, I don't know. She. I guess she was nervous. If she heard him trying to get in the door, so he would ring the doorbell. Yes. So he believes that somebody tried to rape her and that she fought back so much he had to kill her. Yeah. So detectives work all night and then at four AM they catch a break and it's a fingerprint on the water glass. So they start printing everyone to get elimination prints. And then the detectives
1: So when you say printing everyone, just like everybody in the like
0: all the other detectives, the dad the husband, the You know, like anybody who could have had prints on there. They're trying to eliminate.
1: Suspects. Yeah. uh... So
0: they can figure out which print is the suspects. Gotcha. Um, So with Mr. Litzy in jail, there's no way he could commit the Pappas murder. So they release him. Okay. And then the police go to pawn shops around to try to find some of the stuff that was stolen, but they can't find anything. Yeah. And they discover that the prints don't match any records on file. And they know they need to go back over the Allen case to see if there's anything they missed. Um, And they know Mrs. Allen said that the man knew specifics about her husband. Yeah. So they're kind of thinking about that.
1: That's that's.
0: And then, so they go back to Mr. Allen, and they question him again. And then he comes out and says he thinks he knows who the attacker is.
1: I was going to say, he's got to have an inkling of somebody who's been weird around
0: him. Well, he said a few weeks ago he was driving his route and saw a young man hitchhiking, so he picked him up. He oh, said he boy. was an orphan raised in Boystown. He said his name was Jerry Mitchell.
1: this is him for sure then
0: Mr. Allen felt sorry for him, so he gave him a few bucks. Then Mr. Mitchell asked Allen where he lived because he wanted to send him a thank you card and uh Allen didn't tell police this before because his wife picked out had picked out a different man, so he was like, "Oh, well, I don't know, I guess it's not him, yeah, um so they send out a teletype to every borough in New York. And then another couple comes forward with a similar story.
1: A teletype. Yeah, it's like a. So that's like a bulletin. APB, like yeah. A, yeah, yeah. Cool. Never heard of that term. Just, just try to clarify for the listeners who might be as dumb as me.
0: So another couple comes forward with a similar story. This guy says his name was the. He, this guy says that that guy's name was Jerry Schnaffer.
1: Oh. And the
0: woman explained that she was raped by him. At Yikes. Then. The floodgates open, and there's all these cases come to light. And each one has the same story. And it's all where the guy comes to the door. Yeah. Says, says he's he got a headache. He knows the da- husband. He wants to thank him. He's got a headache. Can he use aspirin? And then he comes in. And then.
1: But this guy's got to be doing research on all these people to make it believable, right?
0: Well, he hitchhikes and then he gets the information yeah, yeah, from the husband. Gets, yeah. Wow. So they do an exhaustive investigation of all the case files of sexual assault in New York City. Yeah. They pinpoint 31 separate cases in nine months. They started to see a pattern. He would be out of the state in a neighboring state, then hitchhike into New York and commit the assaults. Wow. So they expand the net in eight states up and down the East Coast. They find 81 total cases. Wow. This person has been raping somebody once every three days. Oh, my
1: gosh.
0: Um. And many of the husbands at the time blamed themselves, but would take it out on their wives. Like, yep. it was so, so much that sounds, like the, that sounds
1: like the 40s to me. Yeah.
0: Um. So, a reporter named Maurice Kastner prints a story about the aspirin bandit. Okay. And he pieces together the Allen and Papa's cases. Okay. Um. The problem at the time was there wasn't any technology. So, the police departments have a hard time communicating with each other. Yeah, yeah. But they, uh, around the area, they're told to be on the lookout of, you know, everybody around that area is told to look for Yeah, the... just
1: watch for this guy hitchhiking, I guess.
0: So then February 14th, there's a break in the case. They get a call from Town, New Jersey. Yep. And um, this, this is a couple called the Ides. It was a husband and wife. They visit detectives and tell about this drifter they let stay with them. Oh boy. And that he robbed them. Um and the woman in the couple is an artist actually and so she says I'll draw him I can tell you what he looks like I'll draw Oh that's a pretty sketch. handy
1: that that happened.
0: Yes. So then the police take that picture and show it to all the other victims and they all say that's him. That's him. So Burns works the streets February 19th another lead comes in police get a call of a suspicious person in an apartment building. So somebody tried to get in to an apartment building, and um, the woman was able to shut the door. So then the super calls the police, who knew about the cases. Okay. So then the super says he chased the guy to the roof, but that when they got there, there wasn't anybody there, and he had gotten away.
1: Like a fire escape, maybe? Yeah,
0: like that. So then five days goes by, nothing happens. Then a call comes in on February 25th, Newark, New Jersey.
1: A call comes in just two days before the 13th uh, Academy Awards?
0: Yep. A woman was attacked violently. Okay. Then other nearby towns call in to report the same. All okay. towns were in New Jersey, so they realize he has a pattern. It is coming back to New York now. So police, like he's in New Jersey, He's yeah, yeah. he's going to be coming back to New York. So police yeah, set up just
1: hitchhike back. Yeah. You know? and, th- and that's the thing I think we got to realize this is the forties. This is very common. Hitchhiking wasn't right as as taboo as it is now. It was like right. I think everybody picked up hitchhikers, it sounds like. Yeah. yeah.
0: So police set up barricades to stop every car coming from New Jersey. Um, then on March 3rd, detectives flood the west side. The Mills Hotel was a hotel for day laborers. Okay. And there's some detectives that are stationed in the lobby there. Yep. Detective Durant sees a guy in a green jacket walk in who matches the sketch. And the guy checks in as George Kozlowski so the police grab him his real name is george joseph svek okay c-v-e-k so whatever however you say that yeah i think it's svek they mm-hmm. fingerprint him and compare it to the print found in the pappas apartment and it was a match it was a match yes. so this
1: jeremy whatever is not is it
0: really george joseph that's just
1: the name he used yeah
0: he was born in pennsylvania his parents were immigrants he had a troubled youth. At age 10 was his first run-in with the law. Okay. At one point, he tried to rob his own house. His mother tried to stop him, and he beat her. Uh. Then he was sent to a reformatory for five years. Then he got arrested for stealing cars. Yikes. But he had never been fingerprinted.
1: Really? All that time, all that trouble, yeah. never fingerprinted? That's weird. So
0: they conduct a lineup. They bring victims and families into the precinct, and one by one, everybody IDs him.
1: Everybody points on. I'm sure. Yeah, got and one him. of the got the, him.
0: One of the victims' husbands even had to be held back because he oh yeah, like,
1: beat the shit out of that yeah. fucker.
0: Uh, so Sivek after everybody identifies him, he confesses to the rapes, robberies, and the murder of Catherine. At Pappas. that point,
1: he probably doesn't even does he even remember all of them at that point? When he do it that often, does well, he even know? I'm sure I probably did that. Yeah,
0: the number of victims could be well over 200 of rapes.
1: Yikes, like Cosby level.
0: The DA chose to charge sex solely with the murder. Um, it was, guess, the easiest thing to prove. Yeah. So he was found guilty and executed by electric chair on February 26, 1942. He, oh,
1: 1942. Okay, next year, yeah.
0: Yeah, they don't mess around back then. Yep. He never received a single letter or visitor while in prison. And that is the story of the aspirin bandit.
1: The aspirin bandit. Or the
0: gentleman killer.
1: Now, why the gentleman? Like, I don't where does know. That That's
0: come just in? what the name of the episode was. That's what they was. named
1: it. Oh, yeah. So.
0: But the aspirin bandit was what the reporters called him. Gotcha.
1: Well, that was interesting. Uh, that was a scary one. Yeah. Um, so. You
0: just never know. You can't yeah. let people in your house.
1: Yeah, you can't. Well, definitely now nobody would, but back then people did. Um. So I have one that came right after that on January 14th, 1941, which I thought you were going to kind of do this one. But yours is more of a that kind of serial killer scary thing. But this one is more of a crime story. In New York City, brothers Anthony and William Esposito held up a man in a Fifth Avenue office building, shot him dead, and then led police in a daytime chase through Manhattan. Both men were eventually apprehended, but not before a police officer was in, was slain and a cab driver wounded in the throat. The trial would become one of the most famous insanity defense cases in history. Oh. Yeah. Uh, have you heard of this one? No. According to crimelibrary.org, uh, Anthony and William Esposito, Anthony was 35, William was 28, they held up a payroll carrier for a linen company located at 34th and 5th Avenue in Manhattan, They shot and killed the office manager of the firm without warning as he rode in an elevator. When the brothers reached the street, they were confronted by police officer Edward Marr. During a foot chase down Fifth Avenue, a gunfight ensued, which sent hundreds of pedestrians ducking for cover. The brave officer managed to bring down William with a shot to the leg. When the cop went to check on William, the wounded man suddenly turned over and shot Officer Marr several times, killing him instantly. Several other people were wounded in the ongoing battle. Both brothers were captured after pedestrians and a passing cab driver subdued them. When they reached trial in May of 1941, the Esposito brothers based their defense on insanity pleas. The death penalty was a very real threat during that period, like we just saw with your story. Mm -hmm. Unlike today, defendants were sentenced to death routinely, and often the sentences were carried out without delay. Just like that one, Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: It was also common for several convicts to go to the chair for the same murder. How about that? Uh, In court, the Espositos began a campaign of bizarre behavior to try to convince the court that they were insane. They would bang their heads on the defense table until they bled. They made animal sounds and howled like wolves. They ate bits of paper and anything else that was in front of them. While the jury was present in the room, they barked like dogs and cried uncontrollably. They drooled on the table and walked into the courtroom like apes. Can you imagine this? uh, The New York press called them the Mad Dogs. At the end of the trial, Judge John Freschi said that the laws uh should be enacted to keep people like the Espositos out of the courtroom. But even all their hysterics could not persuade the court that they were anything but vicious criminals. So I think part of the thing that I've always asked you about is how is it not insane? It's gotta be insane to to do any of these things that people have done. But you're like, that's not
0: Mm-mm. you have to
1: not know right from wrong is what you always go back to. But that's like, that's the legal. Yeah. And Definitely. so these guys, I can see, like, they're clearly trying to make it look like they're insane. Right. Which is kind of like, it's almost too sane. Mm-hmm. Like, you're sane to try to do this. Like, you're, you know that this will get you mm-hmm. out of it. But, right. Uh, so, I don't know, it's weird. I'm, on May 1st, nineteen forty-one, after a jury deliberated for just one minute, a trial record that still stands today, William and Anthony Esposito were found guilty of murder in the first degree and sentenced to die in Sing Sing's electric chair. But the Mad Dogs still weren't finished. On May 7th of 1941, the Espositos were transported to Sing Sing prison by New York City police in a commuter train from Grand Central Station. When they arrived in the village of Ossining, uh, a local cab picked up the brothers and the police to take them to a prison reception area. As the car approached the front gates, Anthony suddenly grabbed the steering wheel of the police unit, as Trump was wont to do, and attempted to yeah. crash the car. A violent brawl erupted between the Mad Dogs and the police. Anthony viciously bit the hand of the driver as he tried to get control of the car. William tried to grab a detective's holstered gun. The police pulled out their blackjacks and beat the brothers into submission. They were dragged out of the car, cursing and screaming. William continued to fight even as he was prone on the sidewalk. He was beaten unconscious, and both brothers were later carried into Sing Sing. Mm. While on death row, they continued their campaign to convince authorities they were nuts. They moaned in their cells and spoke gibberish to the guards. For 10 months, they engaged in hunger strikes and ultimately refused to eat any food whatsoever. Uh, Governor Herbert Lehman appointed a commission to investigate the matter, and it was found that the Esposito family arrived in America from Italy in 1909. Two other brothers were already in prison, and two sisters also had arrest records. Their father was an ex-con who had died years before. Boy, why did all these people come into the country? Their mother had been arrested several times, and the children were raised to hate the cops and the law. Governor Lehman refused to grant clemency. In the end, William and Anthony laid in their cots all day long, eating nothing and groaning throughout the day and night. Neither of them weighed more than 80 pounds. Jeez. On March 12, 1942, they were carried to the electric chair, unconscious, already near death, and immediately executed.
0: You know... It just doesn't make sense to me, like, in general, Yeah, with the death penalty. Why don't they just OD them on fentanyl or something? You know, like, why... You know how there's all Well, now these, they
1: inject stuff, right? I know,
0: but the, the drugs, they're always talking about how inhumane it all is and everything. And it's like, if it's so easy to OD on fentanyl, why don't they just use that for executions? And just... Or heroin or something.
1: Well, I don't think those are like painless deaths either like
0: no like your body's
1: shutting down and shit happens and violent whatever probably um not that electricity is any worse i think electricity was probably just the quickest way they they knew like people would die instantly maybe i don't know why i mean
0: yeah
1: it's a good question yeah um uh the, the Espositos were violent criminals whose behavior shocked the public But never did their actions constitute legal insanity
0: Okay
1: January 20th, 1941 was the third inauguration We're of still
0: in January
1: Frank, Yeah, the rest is just a little bit That okay. was a long thing Yeah. January 20th was the third inauguration of Franklin D. Roosevelt That okay. was held in Washington, D.C. Like he was Before they had term limits Yeah, the last one to serve more than two terms That's right January 22nd, the Andrews Sisters recorded Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy Oh, that's a good one you know how that goes? Mm-hmm.
0: Go he right. was a famous trumpet man from our Chicago way. He had a boogie style that no one else could play. He was a top man of his craft. But well, then his company became a and he was on with the draft. He's in the army now, I'm blowing ravely. He's the boogie, boogie, bugle boy of Company B.
1: That's a great song. Uh, January 24th, born in Brooklyn, Neil Diamond, Okay. who attended Erasmus High School, was a member of the Freshman Chorus and Choral Club, along with classmate Barbara Streisand. Oh. How about that? Did you know Neil Diamond and Barbara no. Streisand were in class together? Did not. Diamond recalled that they were not close friends at the time. He said, we were two poor kids in Brooklyn. We hung out in the front of Erasmus High School and smoked cigarettes. Okay. Also in their class, same class as these two. Honey,
0: we, we're going to be here all day.
1: Yeah, but no, we're not. Chess Grandmaster Bobby Fisher in the same class as those two. How about yeah. that?
0: Well, it's great.
1: February 8th, we talked about Nick Nolte being born already, Mm -hmm. uh, who uh, lettered in football as a tight end, defensive end, at Eastern Arizona. Also played basketball. February 27th were the Academy Awards that I mentioned, with Rebecca winning Best Picture. Remember that movie?
0: No, I never saw that. You never did? Nope.
1: Uh, How about this one? In April 1941, according to WeirdUniverse.net, New York designer Francis Ruskin introduced the latest in apparel for Air Raids. It's Air Raid fashion was fa- was popular. Oh, my God. It was a slack suit made out of plastic and fiber fabric in smart neutral tones that was designed to pre- protect a woman from bombs, shrapnel, and fire.
0: Yeah, that's going to help.
1: While simultaneously preserving her reputation as a fashion leader. Oh, my God. It also featured a metal helmet beneath an uh, enveloping hood.
0: That's what that. Oh my god! That? Yeah,
1: I will post this on our Instagram. Uh, history for jerks. May first, nineteen forty-one, the Orson Welles directed drama film Citizen Kane had its world premiere at the Palace Theater in New York City. Okay. And also that same day, a new breakfast cereal by General Mills named Cheerios was introduced.
0: Oh, the precursor.
1: It would later be changed. Nineteen forty-five too. Cheerios. Yes, Cheerios. Correct. May 24th, 1941 was a Saturday, and singer-songwriter Bob Dylan was born in Duluth, Minnesota. Okay. How about that? You know about him? Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in several bands while attending Hibbing High School, uh, and his name was Robert Zimmerman. That's right. Yep. And actually, he was when he was young, he was in a band with Bobby V, and he would play piano and clap. Clapping was part of his thing. June 3rd, 1941 was a Tuesday. And uh, 48-year-old Mrs. Simon Olson of Moorhead, Minnesota, drowned in Avalanche Creek in Glacier National Park, Montana after posing uh, for a photograph. And then she fell. Oh, no. Off the mountain. Oh, uh, my God. She fell onto a log beside the creek. Wow! Yeah, isn't that awful?
0: I've heard people doing that with selfies. They take selfies on the edge of a cliff and turn around. She had
1: asked her cousin to take a picture of her, and she backed up a few steps. Oh, my God. she fell out of view, and uh, she was gone, swept away. They had to dynamite logs to free her body the next day from the gorge. Yikes.
0: Yep. August
1: 3rd, 1941, Martha Stewart was born. August 14th, David Crosby was born. August 22nd, 1941, Joseph Stalin decreed that every Soviet soldier should receive 100 grams of vodka per day. Oh my God. That?
0: Keep your priorities straight, people. Yeah.
1: September 1941, according to WeirdUniverse.net, among the inventions displayed at the annual Congress of the Inventors of America in Los Angeles was a pair of women's pantyhose designed to repel mice. The shocking stockings were made of fine spun copper mesh connected to batteries hidden inside the women's shoes. Wires ran from the batteries through the stockings up to a coil of wires concealed in the girdle. When a mouse brushed up against the pantyhose, the circuit was closed, releasing a voltage shock, guaranteed to, to repel the rodent. Hmm. Is that a good idea? Mm. The inventor insisted the stockings pose no danger to the wearer. Oh, my God. October 3rd, Chubby Checker was born, and did you know that they named him Chubby Checker as an ode to Fats Domino? Oh, Fats Domino, yeah. Chubby Checker. Get it? Domino's Checker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had a lot more on him but since we're running short on time I'm kind of yes breezing over these things. October 6th, 1941. I know you don't care but the New York Yankees beat the Brooklyn Dodgers 3 to 1 to win the World Series 4 games to 1. Okay. October 13th, 1941. Uh Paul Simon was born. Okay. And he met Art Garfunkel when they were both 10. How about that? That's a little nugget yeah, of information there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh October 21, 1941, the comic book superhero Wonder Woman made her first appearance in All-Star Comics issue number eight.
0: Wonder Woman!
1: And the comic book villain Penguin made his first appearance on the same day. October twenty third, the Walt Disney animated film Dumbo premiered at the Broadway Theater in New York City. Did you know Dumbo was that old?
0: Yeah, I did know Dumbo was that old.
1: I didn't know that. Uh... November 5th, 1941, Art Garfunkel was then born. Uh, And then I've got my overview of things on how Pearl Harbor happened, but maybe that should just be its own episode. Yeah, or something. Yeah, because i got a lot more. So let me just, Pearl Harbor happened in December, and there was a lot of things that led up to it, but we're not going to go through all that because we're not a history podcast necessarily. But I do have to talk about, uh, World War II ghost stories. Ooh. The USS Hornet's ghostly inhabitants. The USS Hornet and her crew served in World War II and the Vietnam War, achieving numerous awards for service and operations. She was also the prime recovery ship for the Apollo 11 and 12 missions. During her active years, about 300 crew members died from accidents and suicides. Visitors to the ship's permanent location in San Francisco report hearing voices and seeing apparitions of soldiers. Electronic equipment is also known to go haywire on board. Now the host of ghost tours, the USS Hornet holds the title of the most haunted ship in America. Uh,
0: That's pretty cool. I thought it would be the Mary Celeste would be the most haunted one.
1: No, there's also the, the watery grave of the USS Arizona. Uh, another haunted World War II-era Navy ship.
0: It's ha- if it's a watery grave, it means it's sunk, right? Yeah. So how is it haunted if it's sunk?
1: Well, let me get into it. When the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941, the Arizona became a mass tomb for the 1,102 that perished with her. She serves as an underwater graveyard and memorial to those that died during a tragic event. Mm-hmm. However, many believe that the dead did not go in peace and still haunt the area. Today, Officers blame a ghost called Charlie for many of the eerie happenings near the USS Arizona.
0: Mm. This
1: famous apparition is reportedly harmless, only turning on water faucets and causing heavy doors to swing open and closed. Another ghost, however, inspires more fear. One of the sailors who abandoned this post during the bombings allegedly haunts the deck of the ship at low tide, uh, inspiring fear and sadness in visitors to the memorial. Uh, Attacked on December 7, 1941, the USS Arizona sunk when it was bombed, uh, taking with it a record 1,177 crew members and rendering it the largest loss of life on any U.S. war vessel. Following reparations in 1962, it now sits on the harbor as a tribute and carries with it for most visitors a tremendous sense of desolation with the lives of Paris that, that tragic day supposedly still patrolling the area. The refurbished boat brims with eerie noises that range from disembodied voices to pacing footsteps, while an Australian woman in 2011 snapped a pic that resembles a ghostly figure suspended in water and crying out in agony. Mm. Uncanny, certainly, but also unsurprising, some of the soldiers' remains are thought to be kept on the USS Arizona.
0: Okay.
1: And that's uh, the way we end this episode with a ghost story. I love the ghost stories. Of 1942. Yeah, I'll am trying to fi- I'll try to find one for every year of the 40s. That's good. Because I think that's, uh, you like ghosts.
0: Yeah, I don't really believe in them, but I like those stories. You don't believe in them? Not really. I mean, they would have, we would have a little more solid evidence than some of the goofy shit that you see online. Not
1: necessarily. I think it's just, I think ghosts are somewhat Apparitions of another dimension. I think there's just multi dimensions. Oh, I think it's and like matrix dimensions going through, yeah.
0: All right. Well, thank you all for listening.
1: Yeah, thanks for listening. Time had, Sorry, it's been a while. It's hard to get back on a regular uh, schedule when you're sure busy is. people. You got shit going on in your lives, mate.
0: That's right. But now it's time to get out of here, Chuck Berry. It
1: is. And we love you. And we want to make out with all of you. Check our Instagram for that picture of that fashion.
0: That's right. Bye.
1: Bye, everybody. Don't get to wipe and stay off the pike. That Truman ego trip is the greatest band of all time by their music.